Hello and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. My name is James, your host. I started this podcast to help other folks share their own healing stories and to interview thought leaders and experts in the carnivore, keto, and low oxalate space. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to Equip Foods and the Carnivore Bar. As an affiliate, you can use the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products when you check out using the code CARNIVOROUS. Thanks in advance for listening, subscribing, and any likes or shares. And now, on with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. It's your host, James. Today, I am super excited to be welcoming Serena Music to Carnivorous Chats. Serena is the host of the Carnivore Revolution podcast, which I was just honored to be on recently, and that episode will be coming up shortly, so look out for that. But Serena, welcome to Carnivorous Chats. Thank you so much for having me, James. This has been a long time coming, and I'm glad I'm here. Absolutely. I am so happy to have you join us today, Serena, because your story is so inspirational. And we were talking offline a second ago for all the women in this space, but there are men too that come from a disordered eating background that have had challenges, especially like you from childhood, where this disordered eating pattern was rampant throughout your formative years and into your adult life. And I'm really anxious for you to tell your story to the listeners. And please, I heard you say that you bought your first diet pills when you were 12. So please start from the beginning. Wow. So I come from a family of addiction. Um, My mom was an alcoholic. My dad was a drug addict. And I say was, Um, as far as I know, they are both clean um, for the most part, but I don't really know that we haven't spoken in a while, Um, about 12 years, maybe it's been. Um, But my sister was anorexic and bulimic for years and years. And so I lived with that. Um, And I wanted to be skinny like her. I was almost jealous that she was anorexic um, because she, you know, was strong enough to just not eat the foods, but I was eating them even at 12 years old. I recognized, and I was not overweight by any means at 12 years old. I was just your average at the time, um, 12 year old, average 12 year old today is uh, a lot different than I was then because we didn't have, we didn't eat as many processed foods. We didn't eat as much junk food. We weren't as overweight as we are now. And so um, at 12 years old, I thought I was overweight and I wanted to lose it. And so, yeah, I bought my first diet pills at a drugstore when I was 12. And um, after that, it was just never good enough for me. And so I dieted all the time. And in high school, I can remember like, um, you know, we had a concession stand at our high school and I remember getting like a soft pretzel for lunch and just eating that or not eating all day long so that on my way to my friend's house after cheerleading practice, I could stop and get one of those Intamin's fat-free chocolate cakes. Do you remember those, the Intamin stuff? I would get one of those Intamin fat-free chocolate cakes. I thought because it was fat-free, I could eat the whole thing. And I did, I would eat the entire cake after school. My friend would get one and I would get one like, and then we would, we would, she would eat half the chocolate. I would eat half the vanilla and we would swap. Um, And I thought that that was okay. Um, but so it's always been a pattern of disordered eating for me. It goes way, way back. And I think a lot of that stemmed from you know, my family, my sister. Um, and then as I became an adult, I was bulimic for a long time. I always struggled with, um, I was never, I was never overweight. I struggled with staying that way while wanting to eat all of the junk food basically that I could get my hands on. Um, and it didn't have to be junk food. Actually, it could be, um, I have binged on an entire bag of, kale sauteed in coconut oil with salt and eaten the whole thing to where I was sick for three days and bloated. You want to talk about being bloated, man. I was so sick from eating that much kale in one sitting. So for me, it could be, it didn't necessarily have to be something sweet. I guess it was the fat from the coconut oil with the salt and the crunchiness left over from the kale. Same thing with kale chips. I could eat an entire bag of, you know, homemade kale chips. Um, 
And, and then of course there was lots of junk food. Um, the weekend that I decided to become a carnivore, I had eaten 20 cupcakes in 36 hours. I was definitely a binge eater and binge eating doesn't always happen all in one sitting for somebody. It can literally be throughout a 36 hour period where you walk through the kitchen every time nobody's noticing and you pick up a cupcake and you shove it in your mouth. Um, but the reason, the main reason that brought me to carnivore was after all of those years of um, dieting, chronic dieting, chronic under eating. I have tried the cabbage soup diet. I was an avid juicer. I did two week juice fast. I was, um, at the time I was eating mostly vegetables. I ate very little fruits, lots of lean meats. I don't think I'd had red meat in a year. I was following kind of a weight watchers plan at that point to get off, you know, like seven or eight pounds. It's not like I was, you know, incredibly overweight or anything. Um, and I was stuck a lot. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't lose weight. It was because I wasn't eating enough. Um, even on, you know, like on Weight Watchers, there were most of the days, as long as I was using all of my points, I was at like 900 calories, um, which is not enough. So I wasn't losing weight even on that. I was very frustrated, but I had COVID in December of 2020, yeah, December of 2020. And I lost my sense of taste and smell. I was very sick for 11 days. I was in bed with a high fever, the most terrible back pain I've ever had in my life. It was one of the worst experiences of my whole life. Um, and I lost my sense of taste and smell. And about three months later, it had started coming back, but it was still very muted. Like I couldn't really taste things, which is depressing and sad, you know, especially coming from the background I come from. So it made me almost binge more because like, yeah, I couldn't get full because I couldn't get the flavor, if that makes sense. Cause that's what binging is about. It's about the immediate joy that you get from eating something. And since I wasn't getting that, I was eating more and I was gaining weight at that point. And I woke up one day in March of 2021 and thought a skunk had been in the house. The smell was so horrendous. Um, and my husband said, no, I just made a cup of coffee. And I was like, what? And I went over, I smelled the coffee maker. And sure enough, it smelled like a skunk, really like a rotting skunk somebody had lit on fire. That's the only way I can explain how horrible it was much worse than a skunk. And I was like, well, that's weird. What in the world? And I didn't really relate it to COVID at that time. I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And it took me three or four days to realize the reality of what was happening, that it was getting worse. And I had gone roller skating with my girls. We homeschool and Wednesday morning is homeschool skate. And so we always go skating on Wednesdays and we were on our way home and I had stopped to get them a treat, which I know I poisoned them with a treat of food. They wanted some um, French fries from Arby's and I was getting on the interstate driving a stick shift. And I reached over and grabbed one of their fries, um, you know, just instinctively. And just as I was putting it in my mouth, I realized I was about to throw up from this man. I was driving a stick shift on an on-ramp getting on the interstate. And I was like, hmm. you know, like I couldn't figure out how to get this out of my mouth. I was trying to, you know, to shift to get on the interstate. And eventually I managed to get it out of my mouth and throw it out the window. And I was like, that is the most horrible thing I've ever tasted. What is happening to me? And that was the day reality set in. And um, I started scouring the internet for what is this? It's called perosmia. People get it um, from chemotherapy sometimes too. It is a sense of altered taste and smell. Um, there are other ones too, like anosmia, anosmia is loss of taste and smell. So there are several different um, variations of this distorted sense of taste and smell. Mine was perosmia. It still is. Um, for a lot of things, it is still that way. And um, so that day I started going around smelling things and I found that the worst culprits were things that were roasted, um, garlic, onion, peanut butter, coffee was, and still is pretty bad. Um, it's not the worst, but it's pretty bad. But the popcorn, when my girls make popcorn, I can't stand the smell. There were times that I ended up in bed with like one of those warm packs on my stomach with a diffuser with essential oils in it, like right here. 
to get the smell out of me because it gets like stuck in my nose sometimes and I can smell it all day long. I also had phantosmia, which is phantom smell. So sometimes I would smell gasoline. Um, sometimes I would smell um, like paint fumes. Um, but the biggest one was gasoline. I would smell gas and I would just have to say to my family, nobody else smells gas, right? And they would say no. Um, and that went on for um, six or eight months, the phantosmia. And I still get that every now and then I get a whiff of something and I ask, does anybody smell anything? And they'll say no. And I'll say, okay. Um, and so this is, you know, for me, this is um, two and a half years later, because it was December of 2021 that I had COVID. Is that right? No, December of 2020. Yeah. Um, but then it was March of 2021 that the, all of these weird smell things started happening. I get confused with the dates sometimes because um, it's, it's amazing to me that it's been that long, but um, it really stinks. Um, it's just, a, it's a horrible thing that affects many people. And what I realized three months into that um, issue where I was eating mostly sugar because it was the only thing that tasted and smelled good. Um, and my teenage girls have a gluten-free baking business. And so they had made me cupcakes for my uh, 48th birthday. And when they said, you want me to make you cupcakes? I said, yes, double the batch because that's where I was. Like I knew the sweets were the only things I could eat. And what I was living on at that point was their leftover baked goods from the farmer's market. We would do the farmer's market on Saturday. We would come home and I would eat that stuff for four or five days because that was the only thing I couldn't eat meat because it tasted and smelled rotten. Um, most of it anyway, I couldn't eat fruits and vegetables because they tasted and smelled rotten. There were so many things that I couldn't eat, but sweets was the one thing that I could eat that tasted and smelled right. So I was eating lots and lots of their baked goods. And so they made the cupcakes for my birthday weekend. And that was the weekend that I ate 20 cupcakes in 36 hours. And I woke up on Monday morning, you know, I was gaining weight. I was miserable. I was in all these Facebook groups where it was from one end of the spectrum to the other people that had gained 50 pounds in six months because of it. And people who were literally fighting for their lives in the hospital on feeding tubes because they couldn't keep anything down from the tape because the taste and smell of everything was so horrible. And I was somewhere in the middle, but I was gaining weight. And um, so it was hard, um, but I ate all of that, all of those cupcakes that weekend. And I woke up on Monday morning and we went running and I thought to myself, I can't keep doing this. That's it. I'm done. It was like, that was my rock bottom, the 20 cupcakes. And I woke up on Monday morning and just, I was swollen. I was puffy. I was tired. I was achy. And I just thought I was achy because of age, you know, 48 years old, you think you're supposed to get out of bed and have to stretch and straighten up your back and, you know, and have some achy joints. Um, but it turns out that was just the food I was eating. And so um, I laid out in the sun that day after we ran and thought, okay, so if I cut out sugar and, you know, processed carbs, and I already can't eat things like eggs and fruits and vegetables, what am I going to eat? And I knew that I could eat a hamburger fresh off the grill and a steak fresh off the grill. It had to be a New York strip at the time. Um, and I couldn't refrigerate them and then reheat them either. I couldn't go anywhere near chicken. I couldn't be in the same room when somebody was making eggs. Um, I mean, it was really, really bad. And um, so that day I had a couple of hamburgers and a piece of steak. And I was like, okay, I made it through one day. And then I started doing research, like what's gonna happen to me if I eat like this? <laughs> and um, that's how I found people that were doing this and that were thriving. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a thing? You know, I had no idea that it was a thing. Um, and it, it was about six months later of being a strict carnivore. I was gaining weight because I wasn't eating enough. And I didn't know that, that that was why at the time, but I felt really good. I didn't have achy joints anymore. I felt a lot better. My mind was clear. My inflammation was going down, but I was not losing weight. I was gaining weight because I wasn't eating enough and I was fasting too much. But it was about six months in that I learned the difference between um, a moderator and an abstainer. And that was when I realized that that was why I couldn't stay away from the carbs and the sugar before. It was because I'm an abstainer and I just can't have any like an alcoholic or a drug addict because it is the same thing. 
And that's the day I realized that I was better. That's the day I was like, oh my goodness, I don't have an eating disorder anymore. I am not obsessed with food anymore. I'm just eating meat and I'm happy. Um, and so it was worth the weight gain. I hate to say that because I had gained quite a bit of weight, but, um, but now I, you know, I ended up increasing the amount of food that I was eating and I lost weight. I feel amazing. My taste and smell still isn't perfect. There are still lots of things that I can't eat. Um, and sometimes we go to a party or something and somebody's making something and I just, you know, get sick to my stomach. Um, and there were days that I ended up in bed all day long because the smell of something was like stuck up in my nose. And our girls play volleyball, basketball. We, in the concession stand, we always have chili for like hot dogs and nachos and potatoes and stuff like that. And the chili just about kills me even still. So I have like this little silicone nose ring I can put on that I put essential oils on. Um, so I can smell the essential oils instead of the rotten smell. Um, and that works really well. It doesn't usually embarrass my kids too much. Um, and that's how I get through, you know, the nights sometimes at games or if we go to a party where they're making something that, you know, the smell makes me sick. So I have to carry one of those with me still. Um, but so I've been a carnivore for um, a little over two years and um, I've just never felt better. Serena, I don't, the, the listeners can't, couldn't see my face while you were talking, but I was like, <laughs> you know, do you know why? Because not only is your story just so amazing, okay. I've had COVID twice recently. Okay. It was both times I was very fortunate not to catch COVID early on as a life insurance underwriter. I'm dealing with a lot of long haulers in when I look at a lot of cases coming and that's just the state of the world we're in now as people that have had COVID are are finding out that there's long-term consequences with the viral infection, especially for those that had the Delta variant. I'm not, I'm not sure if yours was the Delta variant, but the loss of uh, smell and taste can be long going. I had the Omicron variant recently. And what is the term for that where you, there's a smell and it's not there, but you're smelling it like gasoline? Uh, mine is smoke and gas too. What is it called? Oh yeah. I had, and I had the cigarette smell and smoke also. Yeah. Um, phantosmia. It's phantom smells. It has been boggling my mind. I'm like, who's smoking around here? Why do I smell cigarette smoke? And then the huge gasoline smell. No wonder. That's why I was like penny drop moment. So thank you for that. The gasoline smell is so real yes. sometimes that it makes it hard to breathe, right? Like yes. you feel like there's gasoline in your lungs. It actually makes me, when that happens, it makes me short of breath as if it would, if you're standing next to your car, smelling the gasoline fumes and it starts to hurt. You even get that with it, right? It's the weirdest thing. Oh, it is so bizarre. I was one day I was driven absolutely we're on a bit of a tangent now, but I was absolutely not sitting in this exact chair. And I was like, somebody smoking around here. Who's smoking? It was like someone was in the room smoking a cigarette. I could not get away from it. I mean, there was no one. It explains a lot, Serena. Oh my goodness. Really, really, really bizarre. Let's there's so much to unpack here. There's so much to unpack. Let's go back to all your dietary choices that you had made in the past, how many were there? I think you almost tried everything from Weight Watchers to Atkins to the cabbage soup diet to even a short stint in veganism. How many different diets did you try? I was um, vegetarian for about five or six years in my early twenties. Um, and it was never really a health quest and it wasn't even like, um, you know, ethical reasons either. It was, um, it was to lose weight. It was because I thought I would be able to stay thin easier, honestly, because that's what I had always been obsessed with. And, um, so there was that. And then, um, I did vegan because a local family in our homeschool group, the dad had to have a stint put in and we all watched forks over knives because his doctor was telling him about it. And so, um, a bunch of us, a bunch of our families all went vegan. Oh, the beans we ate. I even made chocolate chip cookie dough out of garbanzo beans. I mean, it was like, we were totally in this thing. Um, 
and we were gluten-free vegans. So we even took it one step farther, I know, right? And um, so, yeah, I have literally tried everything, the cabbage soup diet. I can't tell you how many times I did that, you know, to lose five pounds in three days. And it didn't even really work because of the sodium. I mean, anytime I had ever done keto in the past, or like the Atkins diet in the past, I would do it for two weeks, I would lose a bunch of weight, and then I would make a pound cake and eat the entire thing, you know, like it was never a healthy um, thing for me, even Weight Watchers, anytime I ever hit a goal, I went on a binge, you know what I mean? Because it was like, um, I thought it was a reward, but really, it was like self sabotage, you know, looking back on it now. Um, and sometimes I still have that problem, I think, oh, well, maybe I, you know, maybe I do deserve to have a day off, or maybe I do deserve to eat those other things, you know, it's like, it just goes around in your head, if you have those issues, if you've ever had those issues with food, or chronic dieting, or anything like that, those, those uh, thoughts do float around in your head still. Um, you know, it's a really difficult thing. But yeah, I mean, I was a, an avid juicer, you know, I have a $500 juicer down there in the kitchen that just sits there gathering dust now. Um, I actually had a backup juicer too, so I could teach other people how to juice and let them borrow mine. You too, huh? You were a you were a freak like I was. Um, and so, you know, like all of those things, I look back on those things, and that's partially why my family doesn't believe me here. My, you know, my kids and even my husband, they're just like, but is this not just another thing, you know, that we're that we're doing? Because we've tried so many things over the years, and so many times we have told them this was real and this was true. Um, only to find out that, you know, that we were wrong later. And so, you know, they're kind of burned out on it. Um, we try to get everybody to eat healthier. Um, but, you know, and I just try to make sure that they eat more meat than anything else. But we can't be perfect, you know, and I, my family can't be, you know, 100% carnivore right now. And that's fine. But, um, but yeah, so I've tried literally everything and burned my family out. And they just don't even believe me anymore. <laughs> Serena, that really talks to me about how you said something in one of your interviews that the carnivore diet freed you mentally from all this dietary nonsense that's out. And would you say that Weight Watchers in particular, I'm not slamming the diet because it can work for some folks, but it causes you to just count so many different things and almost become obsessed about every single thing that you're putting in your mouth. Would you say that had a big impact on your abstainer and moderator way you are now? Do you think that was a big part of it? Or was just something innately from you from birth? You know, I don't know. I think I had learned that at a very early age about, you know, being restrictive and things like that. So I don't really know that that's the case, but Weight Watchers does encourage um, people in a way to eat lots of processed foods that are sugar-free or fat-free because just because they're low in points. And, um, and I think that that's the biggest problem with Weight Watchers. I think if somebody could follow a plan that was just fruits and vegetables and meats, you know, I'm mostly unprocessed meats, like just a whole foods, meat and vegetable diet, they're going to be, you know, 95% healthier than most of Americans. Um, you know, we're in a place where we are 99% healthier, you know, than most Americans. But I think if, if people just cut out all of those processed things, and then wanted to follow something like Weight Watchers, and could also understand how to keep their calories up, while eating a clean Weight Watchers diet, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think whatever it takes to get people to eat cleaner, and to eat more natural foods and less processed foods and less junk, then that's the diet for them. I do think that carnivore is the best. Um, and if you weren't willing to do carnivore, I think the next step would be a really clean keto without all of the keto, keto treats, which still keep people addicted to the sugar. But I think the biggest problem with Weight Watchers is the, the processed foods um, and it encourages lots of under eating. Now it works for people for a certain amount of time, but just like anything else, if you go back to eating the way you used to eat, you're gonna 
gain all of your weight back. And that happens to so many people. I think the Weight Watchers plan itself is unsustainable for the rest of your life because it's such a low calorie diet. And I know they teach you to count points, but but it does what it boils down to is low calories. And anytime I wasn't losing on Weight Watchers and plugged in my calories alongside of my points, I realized that I was under eating typically about eight or 900 calories a day because they encourage you to fill up on all these fruits and vegetables. And then you're so full and then you're eating lean meats. And while you're full, you're also still hungry because you're not eating any fat. And then, so you turn to a sugar-free cupcake, you know, with, you know, some fat-free whipped cream on it, or, you know, like, and it's all processed. So much of that is processed. I guess it's not all processed, but so much of it is. Um, So I think for some people, if it's, if it's the only thing that will work, then fine. Um, but stay away from the processed foods and just eat a whole foods diet, whether you have to count points or count calories to have that, whatever you have to do. But my recommendation would always be a higher fat whole foods diet because our body needs fat. Our brains need fat. Every cell in our body needs cholesterol. Our hormones need fat. And if you're not giving yourself that fat, and most people are not on something like a Weight Watchers diet, then that's probably not the best thing to do. I'd like to really dig into a little bit for those specifically ladies that are starting out on this way of eating that have found the carnivore diet, Serena. And like you, I just talked about this this morning as I always advocate for people to experiment on their own with themselves and not live in an echo chamber where a specific way of eating is has to be 100% for you. And you often talk about how you initially gained weight and then you got into fasting and then were under eating. And then that can be a very real issue for folks. And it's, and it's an important one. And I wonder if you could just talk to that uh, for the listeners that may be thinking of starting out and what would you recommend now knowing what you know is the best way to start? Absolutely. Um, because this is kind of where my passion has landed after I had such a terrible time at the beginning. Um, so lots of people recommend fasting or one meal a day. Um, and I am an all or nothing kind of person. So I've always taken everything to extremes. You know, if one is good, two must be better and three must be even better than that, whatever it is. You know, that's how I've always been. And so for me, if 24 hours of fasting was good, then 36 must be better. And if 36 is really good, then 72 must be even better than that. Um, and so I went into this rolling 48 hour fast at the beginning where I was only eating one meal every other day. And I did this for months. Um, I mean, obviously there were times I deviated from it, but for the most part, that's what I was doing. And on the days I was eating, I was eating about two hamburger patties with a little bit of butter or cheese on them. And that was it. And so turns out I was eating eight or 900 calories on my eating days at the end of the week, maybe 3000 calories, maybe 4,000, you know, on a better week, but that's not enough calories. I mean, I, you know, now I eat 2,500 calories in a day, some days and don't gain weight. Um, but I, I wasn't losing, I was gaining weight. Um, my body was in this just terrible place, this terrible starvation mode kind of thing. And people will say calories don't matter. Calories matter just as a way, because that's a way that we know that we can measure food that people understand. And so I don't think everybody needs to count calories. But in the beginning, I tell people three really good, big nourishing meals of meat and eggs with a little bit of cheese, if you want to, or a little bit you know, of heavy cream somewhere. Um, for every single day for the first 30 or 60 days, I feel like it's really important. You might gain a little bit of weight, but if you're a chronic under eater, you might actually lose a little bit because your body will be so glad that you are nourishing it, that you might actually lose a little bit of weight, even though you're eating twice as much as you were eating before. If you gain a little bit of weight, just relax because if you're a chronic dieter, this could be like a reverse dieting thing, which is what I had to do for about four months. I had to raise my calories up. It was about eight months in when I realized that I was under eating. So I raised my calories up over about a month, got them up to about 
2,200 calories. Um, and then after a four month period, so at my, around my year carniversary, I started reducing what I was eating a little bit and I was able to lose 35 pounds. But I think that um, the reverse dieting is really important. And most people do need that time of not fasting, three nourishing, filling meals a day, all the things you've deprived yourself of, like ribeye and New York strip and chicken wings, if that's your thing, and lots of lots of omelets with eggs and cheese and, you know, with sausage and bacon, like those things are so important. And we have been told those things are bad for us. So, so many of us have not eaten those things for so long and our bodies are, our bodies need that fat. Um, so I tell people those three meals a day. And then if you want to try some intermittent fasting or something like that, you know, then that would be a good time to do that, but to pay attention to your hunger cues and don't force it. Um, it's interesting that you asked this because after all of that, I did actually start fasting again about a month ago, just to kind of see if I could do it. Um, I know there's a lot of magic in an alternate day fast for a lot of people. And I have been scared to try it because I tend to want to go longer, you know, after I hit that 24 hour mark and it gets easier and I wake up the next day, I think, well, maybe I won't eat today either. And so that's hard for me. Um, and so I did do a week of alternate day fasting. And then the next week I decided that to fix my parosmia because I did fix it one time. Um, I did a five day water fast before I ever started carnivore and everything came back. It was like this light bulb. Everything came back. I was able to smell and taste everything. And I, I ate everything for um, 48 hours and then it came right back. Um, so I thought, well, you know, more than two years into this thing, maybe a, maybe a five-day water fast will fix it again. And maybe it'll stay if I just go back to carnivore right afterwards, instead of eating all the junk food I ate, you know, last time this happened, maybe the key is to stay in ketosis and keep that autophagy going. And so I decided last week I was going to do five days. And so um, I went from Sunday until Wednesday um, and I felt really good. I had energy. I was still working out. I was still lifting weights. I was still running and walking with my weighted vest and my ankle weights. I mean, I had a lot of energy. I wasn't weak at all. But by Wednesday evening, I tested my ketones and my glucose just to see. And my ketones were extremely low, still under one. And my glucose was high. It was actually at um, 101. And I was very surprised by this because I expected to see my glucose at like 70 and my ketones to be in the threes at this point. And I thought maybe my body's in distress. Maybe my cortisol is too high. And so I went ahead and ate um, a steak that night instead of continuing the fast. Um, but I do think it helped my taste and smell a little bit. So that's good. But um, to me, it almost felt like that unhealthy um, relationship with food kind of returning because the first week I did the alternate day fasting. And then the second week I was like, I'm going to go longer. Um, and that's that's the problem that I have sometimes. Um, but this week I'm back into alternate day fasting and I've stuck with it um, and I have felt really good. And so I'm going to do that for a couple of weeks and just kind of see how I feel. I'm not forcing it. I'm just kind of taking it day by day. Um, so like this week, I, I will have actually only fasted twice this week because I did day, day before yesterday and I'm going to do today. And then next week, I think I'll do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But if that gets changed because of, you know, a family dinner or, you know, our plans going out or whatever, I'm fine with that. I would like to do at least two of those every week, but preferably three. Um, and just kind of see how it goes. Not forever, probably, but there are a lot of really good benefits to fasting. And so I hate to discount that by saying, hey, I had a hard time at the beginning, so you shouldn't fast. But I do feel that everybody coming into carnivore or, um, or you know, like a strict clean keto diet should definitely take that first month or two to heal and eat and nourish your body without that extra pressure of fasting. And I can speak from my own experience, Serena, coming from a vegan, very malnourished state where I was, as you heard on your podcast, down to 127 pounds, very emaciated, 
it's taken two years for my body to come to homeostasis and just eat. It was so nutritionally starved. I just, and even though I couldn't digest the fats initially, I was eating them because my body was craving them so badly. I finally got my digestion on track, was able to absorb and digest the fats properly very slowly along the way. But uh, it's so nuanced for folks, and I'm glad you said that. And now, after almost you know two years, I'm thinking about incorporating some fasting myself for the benefits because it can take longer for some folks. And then some folks that have a particular challenge, it may not work for them at all. But again, it goes back to what I originally asked is, is that this is so nuanced and so individual for folks. And I'm glad that we're able to experiment and find out what works depending on your dietary tale, where you came from, where you came from mentally, where food is concerned too, is so important. I want to talk now, Serena, about what you're currently doing, which is the 75 hard. Um, many folks will have heard of it. Some folks won't, but it's a really interesting and cool thing to be doing. And also tied into that, what does that look like on a daily basis for you in terms of your food and what you're eating? Uh, it really hasn't changed my food, except that it, for July, I'm doing the lion diet. So it hasn't really changed my food because I've been a carnivore for more than two years. So as long as I stick with the carnivore diet, I'm good, but it's everything else. So it's not, a lot of people think it's a, an exercise challenge and it's not, it's actually a mental health challenge. So 75 hard was created by Andy Frischella. And it is a free plan that you can get. You can Google it and you can find all of the information you need. And there's an app that does cost $6 that is worth every penny for tracking your activities for the day. So it's basically five tasks. I hope I can remember them all without looking at a list. Because um, by now, like now I'm just kind of on autopilot. Um, so a gallon of water every day, um, a progress picture, even though it's not an exercise challenge, this is just one of those things that you're supposed to do. It's some of the tasks don't always make sense. It's like, but you just have to do it because you have to complete the tasks. So the water, the picture, stick to any diet, uh, no alcohol, uh, drink only water, and two workouts every day, two 45-minute workouts, and one of them has to be outside regardless of weather. And then you have to read 10 pages of a nonfiction book, and audiobooks don't count. I think that's it. And um, so it can be quite a challenge. I tried it a couple of years ago in August, my first year of carnivore in 2021. I tried it. I failed several times and then I got sick. Um, it's just, it's a lot to add into your day when you're already busy. You know, I'm, I have four kids, um, you know, two of them are adults, but one of those still lives at home. Um, but I have two younger kids. We homeschool. Um, of course it was summertime, so it should have been easy. And that's what I thought, but I went into it and it was just too much for me, I think. Um, and once I got sick, it was just like a cold or something that I just thought, this is my body telling me this is too much. I'm still healing. You know, I was only a few months into carnivore at that point. So I just decided to hold off on it. And then um, back in March of this year, I guess it was, I decided I was going to try it again. My friend Jen G from Delighted to Meet You um, is like a pro. She had already completed the 70, the Live Hard program that follows 75 Hard. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But um, so it's the 75 days of all of these things. She was like, get the app. It's definitely worth it. And it was because you can go in every single day. You can take your progress picture within the app, which nobody is ever going to see but you unless you choose to share it. And you just check off your things. And then it says, congratulations, you completed your day. And you can post that, you know, as a reminder to yourself that you did everything. It's a great program. It is hard. Um, the regardless of weather thing uh, was the hardest part. Um, there was one point in May, we were on vacation in Maine. I had already walked or, you know, run or done my exercise outside here at home in, um, in freezing rain, in, you know, snow flurries, in 20 degree weather. Um, it was supposed to start warming up for us in March. And so when I decided to do it, the weather had gotten nice. And then all of a sudden winter came back, freezing rain. I mean, there were days where I did an entire 45 minute workout 
outside in the dark at 1130 at night, you know, just to walk. Um, I would just walk back and forth in our driveway. And our driveway is not very long, but I would walk back and forth in our driveway because it's late at night. We don't have street lights in our subdivision. But it was like, if I was going to get it done, it needed to be, you know, like if I hadn't done my outside workout yet. And sometimes I chose to do my outside workout twice just because it kept me awake to be outside. Um, but I did an entire 45 minutes on the treadmill one day with my eyes closed, holding onto the handrails crying because I was so tired and I didn't think I could do it. Um, you know, it just like you wait too long, you don't have a routine figured out. So you miss it. And then it gets to be 11 o'clock and you think I'm not starting over. Cause if you, that's the other thing is that if you mess up, even on day 74 and miss one of your things, you have to go back to day one and start over. I know you're shocked. I know it's very, very distressing. And, um, so it's a stressful thing. Like you don't want to do this if you're already in a constant stress state. Um, but it's totally worth it. If you can make yourself do it, it is totally worth it. Like it changed my life. And when it ended, when I completed my 75 days, so also I was doing um, Michael Mason's um, Mason Survival Protocol, uh, his Instagram page. I was doing his 100-day burpee challenge while I was doing this. So it started out with one burpee on day one, two on day two, three on day three. Um, and I finished my 100. I actually started that before I started 75 hard and finished like the last week of 75 hard doing those 100. There were, there were days my entire workout was my burpees because there were so many of them and I would do them in increments of 10 and just kind of walk in between. But, um, but it was hard. And then we were on vacation in Maine. One time, torrential downpours, 55 mile an hour winds. When I came in, I had to wring out my clothes. It was so bad. It was, I was so wet. Um, and that is not fun, you know, and it was cold too. It was like 30 degrees, or I guess it was 35 degrees or something. It was very cold, very windy, very wet. It was miserable. Um, so you have to fight through those things and tell yourself you have to do it anyway. And that's hard. Um, but I completed it. And for two days, I did nothing because I was, you know, kind of resting, which let me know that maybe I wasn't ready to be done. Like doing those things every day for 75 days didn't set me up for the success that I thought it was going to. You know what I mean? Like I thought I would at least do one 45 minute workout a day and I would continue to read my book or I was using the Bible as my book for um, my uh, nonfiction book. You would think that after 75 days, I would stick with those things, but I did not. <laughs> I went right, right back to where I was before I started. I was basically doing nothing, none of those things. And that was, that stressed me out a little bit. So I moved on to the live hard program, which follows the first part of 75 hard. It's a three phase program. And um, you can start that first phase. It's called phase one of the live hard program. You can start that anytime after you finish 75 hard. And it is all of those tasks plus extra stuff like a five minute cold shower, 10 minutes of dedicated visualization, and then three critical tasks that you choose on your own. And um, they're not really supposed to be chores, but I made one vacuuming every day and brushing the dog because for my mental health, those two things are important and I hardly ever do them like I should. And so I thought if I make myself do those, that's going to help me be a better person. Um, and then I decided to do a gratitude journal and make sure that I track our finances better. And so I've been doing all of those things. And I got today 29 out of 30 on that phase. And um, I came upstairs to go to bed and I had my phone in my hand and all I had left to do was my Bible study and um, my gratitude journal. And I got in bed and I did my Bible study and I set my phone down on the charger and went to sleep. And I realized that when I woke up the next morning that I had not done my gratitude journal, which literally takes 15 seconds. I can use Siri. I can open up the app and I can use Siri to say the three things I'm grateful for today. And I forgot to do it. So I thought about it for several hours that morning. What am I going to do? Do I come clean and start over? 
on day 20. So this was day 30. I woke up on day 30, which was supposed to be the last day and realized I had messed up the day before. And so I decided to come clean. I had messed up, it, but because that's the point, you know, when I posted about it, people were like, oh, but it's okay. It was just one little thing. Don't worry about it. But that's the point is that I didn't do that one little thing. And so am I the person that I'm supposed to be at the end of this 30 days if I messed up and then don't complain about it? So I started over on July 1st. So today is day eight. And the cold shower thing is the thing that kept me going the entire time that made me not want to start over because I did not want to have to start the cold showers over because that's the worst. Five minutes is a long time. And um, so I started over on July 1st. So today I'll be my eighth cold shower and I'll finish at the end of the month. Um, and I'm going to continue on with 75 hard though. Jen has a Facebook group where we're all doing 75 hard together. And so I'm going to continue for the other 45 days, but just with the reduced amount of tasks from the original 75 hard, which will seem easy after doing this 30 days with all of the extra tasks. And then I think you have to wait three months before you can do phase two of the Live Hard program, which is basically the same thing as the original 75 hard for 30 days. Um, and then on the last 30 days of the year leading up to the day you started the original 75 hard program, you have to do um, this part that I'm doing right now with the cold shower and stuff. You have to do that again in the last 30 days of the year. So it's all about the momentum. Like, you know, they're telling you, you have to do these things for this 30 days and then you get to stop. But are you going to stop or are you going to keep going? And if you stop, that next 30 days when you have to pick up for 75 hard again is going to be so much harder because you've lost your momentum. And so it's just about these tasks and making yourself do the things that you said that you were going to do just because you said you were going to do them. And that if you mess up, you acknowledge that and you start over. Um, so it's definitely a mental toughness challenge more than anything. I um, mean, it's not easy. And I hate it to start over because I was going to do this 75 days anyway, but I wasn't going to have to take a cold shower for another 30 days and do those extra tasks. But um, but it's okay. I'm on day eight and um, I'm hanging in there and I'm hoping to make it straight through the whole, you know, other 75 days. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the biggest thing for me was that I had never started a challenge and completed it in my entire life. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I started a 30 day challenge, like, you know, you're going to do however many push ups and sit ups and crunches, you know, every day. And I make it to like the second week and then stop for a day because I get busy and then just forget about it and then pick it back up, you know, the next month, like, oh, I forgot about that. I'm going to finish that challenge. And I can't tell you, I've never completed. Um, I've trained for a couple of marathons and some half marathons and run a bunch of 5Ks, but that's different than completing this challenge where you have to do these tasks every day. Um, and so, so it was really important to me. And so the main thing was that the day I finished 75 hard was the day before my 50th birthday. And so when I started it, there was no room for messing up. I had to finish 75 hard because otherwise the days were going to be messed up and I was not going to finish the day before my birthday. And so as my, as my 50th birthday present to myself, I wanted to have completed something that was important to me. And so I did it. So, um, you know, so I felt accomplished. I mean, that, that was really my goal was just to finish something I started. A couple more questions for me, Serena, before we finish out. And I always like to listen to the folks that I'm interviewing beforehand on perhaps some other podcasts that they've done or go onto their social media channels and just listen to what they're putting out there in the world. And I always find some gems from my guests. And one of the gems I found from you, Serena, was when it came to disordered eating. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of folks that are listening to you that perhaps are are coming from this background or are thinking to themselves, yep, this sounds like me. And one of the things that you said was eating disorders are the only jail where the lock is on the inside. And I was like, what an incredible way to describe that. And I'm gonna, a couple of other things before I'll let you speak is that you said, 
it's about control, but it is actually controlling you. And it's a hard addiction to get past because food is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's so difficult. One of the hardest addictions to get through because food is such an ingrained part of our lives on a daily basis. Just talk to the folks that may be out there and struggling and going, yeah, this sounds like me. And those things that you said, just super powerful. You know, for years, I felt like I was controlling what I was eating. Um, by either, you know, really being really restrictive or by, you know, purging afterwards, I felt like I was controlling it, but it really was controlling me. And I didn't realize that um, until, you know, after I was out of it, because you don't see it. A drug addict doesn't see it either, you know, until they hit rock bottom and neither does an alcoholic. And I think the exact quote, and I messed it up when I said it, but the exact quote is an addiction is the only prison where the lock is on the inside. Um, and I wish I could take credit for that, um, but I didn't. I didn't come up with that. We actually saw that in a Hallmark show. My girls and I were watching one day and I just like, I got chills when I heard him say that because that is so true. And I think that that, that saying should be out there. That should be a thing because it really is. You're the only one that can get yourself out of that. And it does take hitting rock bottom. And I don't know, my advice would be, um, you have to really take a good look at your life and see, is this where you want to be? Pay attention to your eating patterns, pay attention to how the food makes you feel, write a journal. If you have to, that's something I never did that I wish that I had done. I still go back to places like theme parks and places that we eat where I picture what it was like for me years ago when we would go to those places and where it was, the food was so obsessive. It was so much about what we were going to eat when we were there. And food is a necessary evil for a lot of people, you know, having a food addiction. And there were people that will come at me for this, but I think having a food addiction is probably the hardest addiction because we have to eat to survive. If you're a heroin addict or a cocaine addict or you're an alcoholic, you don't have to have those things to survive. It might feel like it at times when you're, you know, in the middle of, you know, a binge or in the middle of, you know, um, of a, uh, you know, in the middle of a series of uh, using drugs and using alcohol in that way, you might feel like you have to have it, but you don't. But we absolutely have to have food to survive. And so, Everything in our lives revolves around food, which makes it so much harder for food to be the thing that you're addicted to. But the good news is you can eat nourishing foods. You can't use nourishing cocaine. You can't use nourishing heroin or nourishing you know, alcohol. So what we can do as food addicts is we can just switch the drug that we're using and we can switch that to things like meat, whole foods, no processed foods. And you have to look at your life and you have to be willing to admit that you have a problem. Obviously, that's the first thing is to admit that you have a problem. And that's where it all lies is to say, this is something that I need help with. And you can reach out to me, you can reach out to James, there are many of us in the carnivore community that you can reach out to for advice. But you have to admit that you have a problem and that and know that you want to fix it in order to fix it. And so many of us don't acknowledge that for so many years that then it feels like it's too late. And it's never too late to make the change. It's never too late to fix this problem or this addiction. It's never too late to start eating the right foods. And it doesn't matter how sick you are. It's never too late because then at least you could say that you tried, right? At least you can say, I tried everything, you know, before you end up going on something like, you know, one of those drugs for losing weight or having bariatric surgery or something like that. You know, there are definitely other things that you can do to um, lose the weight and get healthy and get past those addictions. And um, I think being a carnivore for me took out so many of the other options 
It took out so many of the other foods that it's just easy. It's like I'm on autopilot most days and um, you get this carnivore zen that just makes you feel really good. Your mind opens up, your brain fog goes away. I mean, I think for a lot of people, what keeps them in an eating disordered state is the brain fog too, because you can't see, you can't see the forest for the trees, you know, because you've got all this cloudiness in front of you and you just don't realize that if you would just change what you're doing, you would feel so much better. And that's a really hard thing to, for people to acknowledge if they haven't been there yet. And so it's easy for you and I to look back on what we were doing and say, oh, I wish I'd have known, you know, if only I had known all I had to do was eat meat. And that's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we're doing is to tell you that if you would just eat meat, everything's going to change. Like your whole life will change and you have nothing to lose. No matter how sick you are, no matter how overweight you are, no matter what is going on in your life, you have nothing to lose to try it for 30 days. You're certainly not going to get worse in 30 days. There is, I mean, the amount of diets that I tried for 30 days, the amount of things that I tried without looking up research, without asking, you know, for people for research papers on it and studies and things like that is just ridiculous. But you ask people to eat a carnivore diet and they immediately want to see the research. Well, you didn't ask for that on your juice fast and you didn't ask for that yesterday when you ate a Pop-Tart. So you really have to think about what you're doing and just say, 30 days is not going to hurt me. There is nothing that can happen in 30 days from eating just meat that's going to affect my health terribly, but it can affect your health in a really good way. And it can do it really quickly too. Like there are people that get off insulin within a few days of eating a carnivore diet. I mean, there are so many things that you'll notice a difference in the first week. It'll blow your mind. Now you might be a little bit tired because you're withdrawing from carbohydrates, but the difference you will notice in the first week will be mind blowing. Give it two weeks and you just won't believe it, much less the way you'll feel in a month. So um, there's no harm in trying and you're you're actually going to feel a lot better for it. 150% and so well said as always, Serena. And it's like you say, when I was coming from a vegan background, which was primarily carbohydrate based and I got off the carbs, it changed my brain. It changes your brain. That addictive personality, you, that Zen that you talk about is real. The first couple of weeks, that first month, I felt super human again. I just could not believe the transformation. Now, again, my journey's nuanced in that a couple of months in, because of my high oxalate background, things start to shift for me. But by and large, if you're coming from a, a standard American diet where you did have some meat, but you're adding more meat and cutting out the carbs, you're going to be very, very good position to feel amazing and see some prolific changes. Serena, last thing for me is... Talk to us about the revolution, the carnivore revolution. What's happening? What's going on? What is the carnivore revolution and what are you guys doing right now? Talk to us. Well, it started out with lots of cooking videos, as you know, um, and, uh, you know, we're trying to revamp that and do some shorter cooking videos. We're doing lots of interviews lately with people like you, um, people like, you know, Dr. Chafee, Sally Norton, um, lots of amazing people, Dr. Brown, about like the brain and carbohydrates versus the brain and protein and fat. Um, so lots of things are being presented on the Carnival Revolution YouTube channel. Um, and that way we do success stories of people. So if you're interested in being one of our six minute success stories, please reach out to me. We would love to have you come and do that for us. So there's lots of things that we're doing. We um, sell aprons. I do coaching. We also have some new glass jars with the logo on it coming soon. 
for purchase, we also sell tallow lotions. And so we're just trying to be kind of an all around place where people can come for carnivore information and carnivore products. And, you know, basically just trying to help people get healthier and reduce their toxic load. Folks go follow Serena and the carnivore revolution on YouTube and all our other places. Speaking of which, Serena, where can folks find you online? Serena.carnivore on Instagram. I'm Serena Music on um, Facebook. You'll know it's me because it has the same picture as the Instagram one, but it's basically a carbon copy of my Instagram page. Um, And I just joined Instagram threads. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with that, but it's there. I guess it's supposed to be like Twitter. Um, So I'm there. I I haven't posted anything yet because I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm kind of like stress paralyzed there. I'm just sitting there like I'm going in there and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't really know what this is for. And I don't know if it's even worth getting involved. Like, I just don't know if I have the time, but yeah, so people can find me this way. I'm also on TikTok, but again, it's just a carbon copy of Instagram basically. So if you want to see most of my stuff, you'll find it on Instagram. Serena Music, this has been an absolute honor and a privilege to be chatting with you today. You're such an inspiration and such a joy to speak with. I'm so thankful for you in this space. Keep doing what you're doing. And I really encourage folks to go follow you and everything that you're doing. So thank you for taking the time out today. Thank you so much. And I feel the same about you. And um, our video for Kind of Revolution will be released probably next week. So I'm excited for that too. Me too. Thanks again, Serena. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. You too. And that's a wrap on this episode of Carnivorous Chats. If you've made it this far, I want to say thank you for listening and also thank you in advance for liking, subscribing, or sharing this episode. Thanks again to the good folks at Carnivore Bar and Equip Foods. Don't forget to check the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products. And also, don't forget you can book me for a 30-minute Carnivore coaching session. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Until the next time, be well. Be well.